want to let you know who are listening. You can address the trauma that may be connected to your parents without throwing them under the bus. You can honor them. You can respect them and still honor the truth that you had a need that went unmet. Let me draw you a picture. You're playing catch with a hard ball. You miss the ball and it hits you in the head and your head cracks open. Got to call 911 and take you to the hospital. Person throwing the ball comes running. Oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to hit you in the head. Do you still need to go to the hospital? Yes. Your parents may not have meant to hurt you, but if you have been hurt pretending you were not, it's like not going to the hospital when your head is cracked open. This is good. I have a equation I have in my first book because it took me a long time to own this myself because I knew my parents did not hurt me on purpose. I knew this. No malice does not equal no harm. When life as you know it is flipped upside down, we struggle to make sense of it all. Why would a good God allow this to happen? Hi, I'm Sherry Pilkington, your host of Finding God in Our Pain. In early 2018, the deepest questions of my life erupted when I unexpectedly lost my husband of 32 years. Since then, I've searched the heart of God for what he has to say about pain and suffering. In this podcast, we'll discover how God enters into our pain, shepherds us through our darkest valley, and out into the green pastures once again. I'll bring you firsthand stories from women who will allow us into their authentic struggle, along with professional advice from experts, counselors, and others who can speak to what it looks like to navigate pain. Join me as we discover God's answers to the deepest cries of our shattered heart. Ever just need a hug or could use a kind word even from a stranger? What would encouragement do for your heart today? My guest, Danielle Burnock, is known on the internet as the lady who loves you. And after my brief time with her, I can honestly say I know why. I felt loved on after our conversation. And I'm hoping that that's what you feel, too, as you listen to her explain things like trauma, the difference between self-love for selfishness and self-love that honors God. And that was really very eye-opening to me. That really shifted a lot of my thought process on the whole, there's enough self-love in the world today, goodness gracious. But she made this clear distinction of how we walk in self-love that honors God. Beautiful. The dangers of unresolved trauma. We talked about that, why we automatically default to negative thinking and the root of why we blame ourselves for the trauma that we're left with. We discussed trauma bonds and she gave several very practical examples of why it's important to take care of ourselves with regard to trauma. She has a process of healing based on the word self, S-E-L-F. And she uses the word self as an acronym to give distinction to the steps and a shape to the process that she uses to bring healing to those in search of relief and freedom and peace. And she does it in the most loving way. And when I say loving, I mean humble, kind-hearted. You get this feeling of a kindred spirit, like she knows where you've been. She has an idea of what you're going through. And there's no judgment when she's talking to you. I'll put it this way. To me, she represents the heart of God well. 
to heal the brokenhearted, to bind up their wounds, to restore, not to its old ways or its old definitions, but in newness of life, freedom, and peace. She helps us move from the residue and the reality of this sinful world into the beauty of what God has for us, the way that he's written a story about our lives and how he can impact that in a way that moves us out of the sinful nature and the residue of trauma into his beauty, his redemption, his peace. If you can benefit from any of these qualities, you're in the right place today. Welcome, Danielle. You're known on the internet as the lady who loves you, but from what brief pre-conversation we've had, there's been a lot of trauma in your life. So let's back up for our listeners so that they can discover how life imprinted you, and then we'll move through to where you are today, known as the lady who loves you. First off, I love that you admit that you really didn't come into your own until you were in your 50s. I can so relate to that. There is just something about your 50s, a freedom, revelation. I've so enjoyed it compared to my younger years. I enjoyed parts of my younger years for their reasons, but this 50 is a beautiful place of rest and being comfortable in your own skin. So I'm excited about that. But sticking to the topic of trauma, it has a way of keeping you focused on creating one survival skill after another just to get by. So let's start with this. What is trauma using the examples in your life? It's something that keeps you from being who you were created to be. It's something that causes constant misery. It is something that we don't always recognize. It's an underlying thing that drives our life until we do something about it. But I have learned how to define it since addressing mine after having dismissed it for so long because I didn't recognize it. And it's really important to me for this definition because I believe many people misunderstand what trauma is. Trauma is not an incident. It is not a thing that happened to you. What happened to you is important, like that book that they have out there, What Happened to You. It's good to say what happened to you instead of what's wrong with you. (laughs) That's far better. But what happened to you is the incident. Trauma is what is left behind. It's the trail that's left behind. It's the wound that's left behind. Two people can go through the exact same thing and one can have trauma and the other one be completely fine. Therein lies the evidence that it is not the incident alone. There's people who go through horrific plane crashes and emerge without trauma. I can't imagine how they do that. It's because of a personality, an innate resilience, how they were raised, how they were prepared, many, many, many things. But there are others who, things that we feel ashamed of because they feel so small can traumatize us because trauma is a wound that happens on the inside of us because we went through something that we were incapable of dealing with. I like to call it an involuntary wound. No one gets traumatized on purpose. There's so much shame 
surrounding the feelings of trauma. Can't use that word because, you know, there's something wrong with you. You should have done better. You should have not been there. You should have been dressed differently. You should have been, you should have, should have, should have. Stop shooting on yourself because it's involuntary. If someone hits you in the head with a baseball and your head splits open, you don't go, oh, it's all my fault. My head split open. It should have not split open. But we do that with our soul and with our mind and with our insights. It's like, no, trauma is an involuntary wound. There's no shame in that. But we have to constantly say that because shame just wants to come from all different places. Like, no shame. I am, I'm hyper against shame. So I'm going to back away from that little soapbox I'll go off on. <laughs> <laughs> well, there is a disconnect. Well, is it disconnect? Is that the right word? Our internal dialogue, trying to make sense of our world and what people do to us or situations we find ourselves in. But I wonder why it is naturally negative and not positive or at least not beneficial to us. The would have, should have, and could have, I always say, is Satan's some of his most cruel weapons that he uses against us. But I was, I've always been curious about the internal dialogue. Why does it always take the negative route? Why not a positive route? Well, I know for children, I don't know, I could say for certain as adults, other than getting into what I believe about God and about the human person and all of that stuff. But as a child, I love what Dr. Gabor Mate says. Children blame themselves. They just automatically do that. Because they are being traumatized. The trauma is coming through someone that they need in their life. It's some authority figure. Or it's some person who has value in their life. And this person is hurting them, but they need this person. And so they can't turn that person into a villain, which leaves the only other option is they villainize themselves. Wow. That makes sense. I'm, I'm thinking of several instances that I'm aware of, and that makes perfect sense on why they act the way they do because they can't break they don't want to break that bond well they need it <laughs> yeah i mean depending on how old they are depends on how much also mm. you have a three-year-old child who's being molested by their father and sold into sexual trafficking like a friend of mine this three-year-old has no way to defend themselves right they, they need food. They need clothing. They, they need a bed. They need, you know, maybe their diaper change if they're still wearing one at that age. But I mean, there's a great need at that age. They don't have the tools and children are not done developmentally. That's another term for childhood trauma is developmental trauma, which might actually be more helpful for people because people condemn themselves as a child. Something I brought up before, which is helped me so much. And I believe it will help any adult that struggles with dismissing their trauma. First, identify how old were you whenever said incident occurred. Right. <laughs> identify a person in your life that you care about who is that age, a child, a grandchild, a neighborhood child, a niece and nephew, you know, someone in a sitcom, someone that you like to watch if you don't have a relative and identify that person at that age. Now think of that person at that age going through what you are dismissing in your life. Because we look at our trauma through the adult eyes, through the completed brain. But as a child, 
we don't have that completed brain. We have different views. And to be able to see a child, see it as a child, you need to see yourself as a child, not as an adult. I looked at my trauma through the adult eyes. Well, I shouldn't have this and I shouldn't have that and I shouldn't have this. And well, I ha didn't have the tools. And it's not my fault I didn't have at six what I had at 30. <laughs> right. Yeah. It makes me think of trauma bond. When I think of trauma bond, is it what you're talking about now where we are older, but yet we are condemning ourselves as a child to not know better or do better? Or is trauma bond something that you have with the person who's abusing you? It's what you have with the person who's abusing you. Okay. That makes I sense. I have another friend who he has a podcast also, and he's an adult and still wrestles with trauma bonds in his life now because of certain needs in his life and how he is being treated by those around him. And he's had to work his way through that because it's family and you want to be connected to your family. It's not simple. It's complicated. And sometimes there's a time for cutoff, but some people I think do that far too early, but there is a time for that. There's a time for cutoff. I mean, a three-year-old should not be molested by her father and being sold into trafficking. Right. Yeah, there are times when it's like, no, no, you know, is it, that's a whole different thing. Children not having any sort of authority, input, context, only trying to survive, just need their needs met. And why not? Why, they should have their needs met and not be put at risk like that and be, in my opinion, tortured mm -hmm. in that way. So childhood trauma can set you up for some pretty bad decisions if you don't deal with the trauma. What has been your experience if you don't deal with the trauma? There are many repercussions if you don't deal with the trauma. You don't deal with the trauma, and it depends on what kind of trauma and how it's affecting you. There are many different side effects. I have an assessment that I give at my website to help identify those. And then you could say, well, if you have all these side effects and something happened, and sometimes people won't even remember what happened. And so they have to identify the side effects to that, which are from just attitudes, um, responses, reactions. It affects our attachment many times. There's different kinds of attachment. If you have, you know, someone who doesn't have trauma will have a secure attachment. They won't have the normal, they, they, not normal, <laughs> trust issues. I, I think everyone struggles with trust. I guess that's why I said normal with some degree because we're human and humans mess up. So we mess up our trust things. But when you have had trauma and that trust has been broken, trust is almost like a muscle that is atrophied that doesn't even work in your life. Wow. So you have to learn how to trust so trauma affects your relationships. Dealing with your trauma will affect your relationships in a positive way, every single relationship that you have. Unaddressed trauma will affect how you think, your mindsets, how you process information. So it will affect how you perform at work. It will affect how you raise your kids because it affects how you think. It affects your brain itself, not just your mind, but your brain also. Two different things, mind and the brain. Insert a little shout out here to Dr. Caroline Leaf, brilliant neuroscientist who talks about that quite a bit between the mind and the brain. Both are important, two different things. Another way that trauma affects you when you do not address it is it makes you sick. 
It makes you sick in many different ways, possibly. And sometimes it kills you Mm. because of those physical side effects. It can start one way, but it can progress, especially if it has come up and you push it down and it comes up and you push it down. What happens if you have a cut and you go out and play in the dirt and you don't wash it, you don't clean it. Then you go out and play in the dirt again. You do it over and over again. You're going to have a real nasty infection. And that's what trauma does. It it infects the inside of you. And if you don't deal with it, it will have its way. It will either take you to the place where you will deal with it and confront it, or it will kill you. Interestingly enough, pain and trauma will wait for you. It will wait for you to address it. And in the meantime, like you're saying, or at least for me, I'm speaking on my experience, you create those survival skills that you think are helping you out by protecting you and not letting you feel the pain or whatever, but it's still there when you decide to deal with it as if it just happened. So it's far more important that you deal with your traumas. I am a big believer now, especially after losing my husband of processing those things, which you hold near and dear and you're separated from and not just a person, you know, if you lose a loved one, but like you're saying here, your childhood, your innocence, your peace, your safety, those are things that need to be grieved Mm -hmm. and processed. What does it look like to process trauma? It's a process, <laughs> using the very word. It isn't an instantaneous thing. You have to look at it. You have to validate it. I have a process called SELF, S-E-L-F, which stands for see, expose, love, and free. I take my clients through that process. And the C is being aware of it. You have to see it. You you can't heal something you won't see. If you have a cut on your arm and you refuse to look at it, you can't take care of it. You have to see it. You have to validate it. Yes, this happened. This hurt me. You have to see it. Then you have to expose what's underneath because that's where people, oh, they see it and then they shove it under the rug. Well, we need to lift up the rug and pull it out. So what happened? Why happened? And look at it and go a little bit deeper and then my next step of the process is L for love, because it takes courage to do something about it, to make difference choices, to take care of yourself, to respond to it in a healthy way. There's actions we need to take, but it takes courage to do that. So L stands for love. We need to fill up on love. We need to love ourselves. That's why I say you have to love yourself from survive to thrive. Yeah. You have to love yourself. But I believe you also need the love of God. The love of God is, I believe, the core love that will heal. So you fill up on that love and it gives you the courage for the next one, which is F, which is free. And that is to take an action step. What do you need to do? And you go through this over and over again in a process because you can't do all the things with the first F. <laughs> you just do yeah. one thing and then you go back and say, well, see, how did, how did that affect me? Okay, well, E, expose, why did it affect me like that? And then love yourself into, okay, I'm worthy of love and I'm worthy of healing. So then you can take your courage to take the next step of doing something else about it again. And depending how severe the wound is, how long the healing 
people take. It's like if you have a broken bone or if you have a compound fracture or what time, type of wound it is in the body. We don't, sometimes we do. We dismiss small wounds, but we still need to tend to them. Yeah. But there are all different kinds of wounds and we have such a tendency to measure them all. Like there are people out there with a small T and the big T for trauma. I don't like that because people go, oh, it's a small T. It doesn't matter. Stop capitalizing and uncapitalizing your pain. Right. <laughs> pain is pain and it won't go away until you do something about it. It's just a matter of how long it will take. Just like you mentioned, we try to grade or give a degree to our pain compared to other people's pain, but it can't be it can't be done that way because it's unique to each person. This the recipe that you have self see, expose, love and free. Do you find that people can go through that more than one time for the same trauma? Are there layers of healing that you've oh, definitely. experienced? Definitely, of course. Absolutely, without question. I have a course that I have uh, based on my first book, Emerging with Wings, and it's got 12 lessons in it, 12 weeks to go through it if you want to go through the slow way of doing it, though I have fast track for the impatient. <laughs> but it's got four modules, the C module, the expose module, the love module, and the free module. But then inside of each of those, there's a C, expose, love, and free. So mm -hmm. in that one course, you go through it four times. Since you are known as the woman who loves you and you have a whole thing of love and to focus on love and to be worthy of love, self-love. What do you have to say to those who may feel that there's enough self-love and that's the problem today? Oh, I am very ready for that question. <laughs> I created my self-process on purpose for such people. I created the self-process for two very specific reasons. One is because self in the self is where our choice resides. Only I can change my life. No one can do it for me. No one can make your choices for you. If someone tries to do that, it's called manipulation and coercion. It's not a free choice. Mm -hmm. So for you to make a free choice, that has to come from your own self. It's about ownership, owning your own choices and owning it. So self is important. And the second reason is because in Christian circles and churches and some religious places, the word self is like a dirty word. And here I will try to not get too emotional because I suffered under that for a very long time. There is self-love where people are obsessed with themselves. And that's not really self, that's ego. That's all, they're all caught up in their self, narcissistic and egos. That's not the self that God created. The self that God created is our soul, our mind, our will, our emotions. And he said, with patience for us to possess our souls. The Bible teaches about denying yourself, taking up your cross and dying. I had that taught to me in a way. And because of my trauma lens, I saw it wrong also. So double whammy. I thought that I was not supposed to exist. The self was not supposed to exist. I'm supposed to just not even exist. And this is for miserable existence where I tried to kill myself slowly for a very long time because I hated myself so bad because self is so evil. But that's not what Jesus meant. The self he's talking about is the ego, the part where basically we want to be God instead of him. 
but the self that is born again, the self that comes to know Jesus, that wants to do the things of God. And that self needs to learn how to love, love themselves, love God, love others. And the Bible teaches us at First John that we love others because he loved us first. We can't love God or love others without him loving us first. We have to get the input of that before we can get the output of that. But back to the, at the beginning where we were talking about children blaming themselves and how they are trying to protect themselves and they have needs and things like that. We are created by a God who is love. The Bible says we are created in the image and likeness of him. It is written, God is love. If we are created in that image, we are created out of love. Our greatest need is love. Jesus said to love others like we love ourselves. If we love ourselves, we are loving what God loves. For God so loved the world that he gave. So we need to love ourselves like God loves us. That's honoring God when we love him how he loved us. Not trying to be God but trying to be who, who he created us to be in the first place, that love connection to him. He, he exists in a Trinity in relationship. Yeah, he's not alone and he created us for that relationship and love is the core of that. And so we need to be able to love ourselves. So self-love is extremely important and part of the gospel, I believe. That's going to be some beautiful freedom for somebody today because you made the distinction between self-love where we discover who God created us to be and a lover of self where we want to be our own God and we don't need God's input. That's really being Mm self-centered. I learned that selfish doesn't mean what I was always taught it was and what by and large the world believes that selfish is bad. Yeah. They define selfish as self-centered. Selfish does not mean self-centered. Selfish means to think about self. What about self-care? We need to eat. We need to sleep. So we need to, when you're on a plane and the things fall down, we need to put that on ourselves first so we can help others. I have a garden. If I don't tend to it, I can't give it to other people. So we need to be self-ish without being self-centered. Mm, that's good. That's good stuff. I wanted to back up for a second there. Now I forgot. That was really good though. I'm, I'm processing that in my own life and, and <laughs> looking at things. You have such wisdom and depth about trauma. Talk to the audience a little bit about why you even are involved in this particular topic. What makes you qualified to pull up to the table and have this deep intellectual, emotional, spiritual conversation about trauma? Thank you for the compliment. I will receive that. Long ago, I deflected compliments, which is a trauma response. <laughs> but I am qualified because of life experience. And I have learned to own that. I have no letters after my name. I did not graduate from college. I don't have any fancy degrees. But I have healed from multiple traumas in my life. I've healed from multiple deaths. I have healed from bullying. I have healed from public shaming. I have healed from public humiliation. I have healed from public rejection. I have healed from childhood emotional neglect. I have healed from betrayal. I have healed from many different things. And I have studied 
and studied and studied to understand and to sit and learn the whys and the hows. I have seen exposed, loved, and been set free. In my book, Emerging with Wings, that course is based on that as I was trying to, how do I help other people get what I have gotten? It's called Emerging with Wings because the wings stand for freedom. Mm. like wings of freedom. So you can soar, like rise up with wings as eagles to walk and not be weary and to run and not faint. That's what that is to give you. And I learned going through that, that that was the process God took me through for many, 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 many years. It was a very long process. And part of what I want to do is help people possibly shorten their process by providing them tools that they can access instead of trying to figure it out on their own. I had to figure it out. I didn't know what was wrong with me. I didn't even know the word trauma until I was in a bookstore and stumbled on a book called Trauma is the Pain That Stays. I'm like, huh, I got some of that stuff, pain that stays, trying to deal with that. I had never heard the word, you know, other than trauma from plane crashes and all those things where it's associated with these ginormous, huge catastrophes, which disallowed me. I sought to heal. One of the things I say in my book is I have gotten to where I am by refusing to stay where I was. Mm. Change is something I have done over and over and over again. If you were to listen to what I believed 20 years ago, I would disagree with myself. <laughs> because I have changed so much. I am constantly learning and constantly changing so that I can become more and more like the God of love who created me. So I can love others with that depth of love, that kind of love, that unconditional love, that pervasive and healing love that reached into the depths of my soul where I wanted to die and gave me life. Mm. So I have been through it. One thing I, that has hindered me in the past, but not anymore, slows me down for a minute here and there sometimes because I haven't been through sexual trauma. I was never molested. I was never raped. I've never encountered the sexual aspect of trauma, but sexual trauma affects the emotions on top of the body and emotional trauma affects the emotions and the body. So they both affect both things. It's just the avenue in which it entered into your life. And again, we go back to it's unique. Trauma is personal. It's a different kind of trauma. My friend who was trafficked when she was three, we connected so much in our areas of how we healed and fought to get healed in that. And what she is doing, she's got her own book out there and championing, you know, healing from trauma herself. And it's, it's just such a beautiful thing. Speaking of wanting to set people free, your resource page on your website is amazing. I'll have all the uh, links in the show notes. So please visit Danielle's page, go to the resource page and you will find she is extremely generous with resources to help you out. And so after that, then make sure you shop and support her. Um, PTSD, the only context of PTSD that I was aware of was military service. But have you found PTSD to be something that is associated with trauma in the context that we're talking about it? Oh, absolutely. In my book, Because You Matter, I interviewed 10 other people to share their stories in there on top of how I healed 
that's more like a self-help book in bit, little bitty things. So people can do it little bits at a time, but the stories of 10 other people, men and women, different ages, different races, different variations of belief, because trauma is different. Everyone has gone through different things. Like I said, I've not been through what my friend went through. Well, people may listen to me. Well, I haven't been through what you went through. Well, maybe we went through what my friend went through, or maybe what Randy went through, who's in my book, Because You Matter, who lost his best friend, who was shot and murdered at a carjacking. And he developed PTSD before PTSD was associated with anything but military. And so he had to deal with that. And his story is in that book of how he came to know what it was because through the side effects in his life and then how he healed from it. And now he helps other men. All these people are out helping other people in different ways also because they turned their pain into purpose. So yes, PTSD definitely is a thing that has to do with trauma. I would want to point out on top of that, something that many people may not be aware of. They may have seen the letters and just kind of brushed it off, but something called complex PTSD. That's something I had. And I learned that through studying what it is. And it's not that you, anyone needs a diagnosis. We don't need diagnosis and the labels as much as we need to own the truth and then own the path to freedom. Complex PTSD is from either something that happened repetitively or variating things that creates a pile. That's very simplistically defining it. PTSD is from one thing. That's not to belittle it at all. Right. It's just, it's a single thing that causes a massive wound as opposed to a, a myriad of things that creates a complex wound because you're trying to clean up a spider web. I discovered I had that because of all the different traumas that I'd been through and the neglect. I didn't learn the term until like two years ago, but I learned about it when I was writing my first book, when my counselor pointed it out to me, but she didn't know the term either. So I haven't heard that term. So that's something new to me today. It's CPTSD. CPTSD. Seems like people are very complicated as far as, you know, there's so many levels to what we experience, but there's freedom. One of the other complications to point out, I just commented on someone's post on uh, Facebook today. They deal with dissociative identity disorder, which used to be called multiple personality disorder. I interviewed a lady for my podcast on this. People are not familiar with DID, it's called. And when I was growing up, multiple personality disorder was something, some awful thing that someone that was basically something was wrong with them was the way it came to me in my psychology classes and that. But what it is, is it happens in children when they have been so abused that they have disassociated from themselves as a defense mechanism, which actually works for them to protect them. It's not a bad thing, but it gets labeled a bad thing. But when they emerge as adults, then they have, now they call the other personnels, they call them alters. And there are two different ways that people heal from this, according to the lady I interviewed on my podcast. Some people, they will put them all back together and reincorporate themselves into a single personality. And another other portion of people, they will make peace with all of them and learn to co cohabitate together. Interesting. My There's mother. a lot of ways that, we, that trauma presents itself in people's lives. <laughs> so true. 
my mother had a second personality that was very childlike. We never did get her diagnosed for that, but we saw it appear under stressful situations. And we wondered then what happened to her as a child. She mm-hmm. would never talk about it. We tried to talk to her about it, um, but she would never open up about it. Shut us down every single time we tried to, to bring it to light. Oh, because that's something so horrific. She separated from herself. And we all do this to some degree frequently, just to bring a case in point, because people will have a tendency to condemn that. Like I'm stronger than that. Well, when was the last time you got in your car and you arrived where you were going and you're like, oh, I don't remember. We're passing this place. You're on on autopilot to a certain degree. You disassociated. Mm. And I dissociated multiple times in my traumas. I never developed any personality disorder of that kind, but I did disassociate. That's when, you know, you go from here and then you're here and that other part is just missing. You have just this big gap in your memory, like the trauma that happened to me concerning my, my name, because I legally changed my first name in 1988 because of a trauma. I remember the incident and I remember the last words that were spoken and that's it. What happened after that? I have no recollection whatsoever. I don't remember going home. Don't remember responding. Don't remember a thing after that. Mm. Likewise, the one that happened in the church. I remember crying all the way home and it was it. And so the brain goes into a protection mode. Yes, especially in a child. And it is to protect them. It's they are experiencing too much pain for them to be able to handle. And when people develop did, it's because they have been put in that state for an elongated amount of time that they've had to stay in that state for an extended period. Like when someone's being molested, you know, they, they have to stay in that place. They don't just go there till they can collect themselves and come back. It's some place they have to go to. You were mentioning a few minutes ago how sometimes you didn't know terms, you didn't make connections with them in the sense that you knew you had a problem. I had everything except substance and sexual abuse in my life as well growing up. And I wouldn't have known that I was in the survival skill mode, except that things weren't quite working out in the adult world. So if someone doesn't realize that they are in trauma mode, how do people find healing that aren't necessarily making a connection with the fact that there's trauma that they need to address, especially if they don't recall it? Well, they need to address the fact that something's not right. Something's not working. Like you had said, something's not working. Then they need to care about that because people will say something's not working and then they'll dismiss it. But do you want to do something about it? I was thinking while you were explaining that about how another reason why we dismiss trauma and don't call it trauma because it's all we knew. And so it's normal. That, that's our normal. For example, when my counselor identified the childhood emotional neglect to me, the word she used was something went terribly wrong. (laughs) Something went terribly wrong. When I was explaining to her, I felt like I didn't belong in my family. I felt unloved. And I was like, well, maybe I was adopted. Maybe that's why I feel this way. And so I was just doing this, but I was on my way to making another point. She stopped me. She went, wait, 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 no, wait, wait. Why did you feel that way? I'm like, I have no idea. I brushed it off. 
as nothing. It was my fault. It was just how I felt. There was something wrong with me for feeling unloved. I had must have been unlovable or whatever. I didn't even have the words in my mind. It was just the conclusion that as a child I came to it was my fault. So I don't know. It's just my fault. (laughs) And she said something went terribly wrong and proceeded to explain to me how a child would feel loved by their parent, how a child would go to their parent. And I don't even remember what she said, because I think I sat there with my mouth falling open going, wow, really? For example, one of the things that would elaborate on this feeling of neglect, plus I was a sensitive child. (laughs) There are very independent children who don't need a whole lot of nurture. Childhood emotional neglect is subjective. It's about a child receiving the amount of nurture that they need. There's no perfect parent. Every parent will mess up. And so it's not like, oh, you screwed up once, your kids are screwed up. That's not true. If they consistently in an area or in an area they need something big, they need a big response and they don't get that, they have a need that goes unmet. That's not the parent trying to unmeet the need. That's they have a need that goes unmet. I used to be terrified, or I still am not fond of thunderstorms. I used to be absolutely terrified of thunderstorms. Thunder and lightning terrified me. And I would get up in the middle of the night and I was more afraid of waking up my parents. So I laid on the floor and slept on the floor next to their bed. I have found there are others who have done this. This is not a healthy nurturing relationship with your parents. And then I'm here, I'm going to digress into explaining for those of you who are listening going, well, my parents did the best that they knew how, so did mine. I love my parents. Neither one of them are still alive. My dad died when I was growing up. That's one of my traumas. That's another story. But my mother and I reconnected. We built a bridge and we reconnected. And I learned about the trauma she had been through in her life. And she simply didn't have things to give me that I needed. And so I want to let you know who are listening. You can address the trauma that may be connected to your parents without throwing them under the bus. You can honor them. You can respect them and still honor the truth that you had a need that went unmet. Let me draw you a picture. You're playing catch with a hard ball. You miss the ball and it hits you in the head and your head cracks open. Got to call 911 and take you to the hospital. Person throwing the ball comes running. Oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to hit you in the head. Do you still need to go to the hospital? Yes. Your parents may not have meant to hurt you, but if you have been hurt pretending you were not, it's like not going to the hospital when your head is cracked open. This is good. I have an equation I have in my first book because it took me a long time to own this myself because I knew my parents did not hurt me on purpose. I knew this. No malice does not equal no harm. This person throwing that ball, they may not have meant to hit you in the head. They had no malicious intent that didn't stop the truth that you got hurt. So there is a way to unpack it without throwing your parents under the bus, respecting and honoring them and still healing your soul. 
I'm going to let that breathe for a minute because that is powerful right there. I don't know that I would have ever made that distinction. That's a big part of my story. (laughs) You've given me something to really think about here because how many people have not done the work they need to do to heal because they didn't make the connection of an evil parent or a vindictive parent, but they're good people. And so surely it's my problem that I feel this way, but it's worth looking at and healing from. Dr. Janice Webb has written a book, Running on Empty, where she illustrates in a brilliant way, 12 ways a child can be emotionally neglected. She has a child who is emotionally nurtured and starts with this little kid. So you get to know this little kid, and he goes through this thing at school, he comes home, and his mom addresses it in a loving, nurturing way. Then she goes on to 12 other ways with 12 other styles of parenting where the child was left neglected, and how that left the child, the effects it had on that child. I used to tell my boys, I have two boys, grown now, have their own families, their own children, but I used to tell them, mainly because I I knew I wasn't a perfect parent, but I used to tell them, I said, look, Hang in there, guys. I'll be honest with you. Y'all are going to need counseling when I'm done with you. Not intentionally, (laughs) but because I'm doing the best I can. But I know it's not enough in some regards. And when I hear you saying this, I think about the times that I batted things down. Something that was said and I'm like, oh, you're fine, you know, whatever. And just bat it down and not address it. And so I think about the ways that I would have failed my children, not intentionally failed Mm -hmm. them but failed them nonetheless. And so I guess the responsibility falls on us as the children when we grow up to get the help we need. I guess at some point as adults, we realize something's not working. We need to really evaluate what this is. Let's follow it all the way the trail, all the way back down and pinpoint what, where this is coming from so that we can get the resources we need in order to heal and be whole. Yeah. It's not our fault for what has happened to us but it is within our power of how to respond and go forward. We do not have to stay where we are. That is our choice. That is our responsibility. And that is our superpower is the ability to choose how to respond. To stand up and take responsibility, own it, like you said, and move forward with the resources, finding resources, finding help. And see, that's loving yourself. Loving yourself from survive to thrive. You're loving yourself when you're going to get the resources to make yourself a better person. That's an act of love toward yourself. And actually, if you think about it, that's an act of love toward other people because you're changing yourself. So you're going to respond in your relationships in a healthier way and you're going to love other people better. So healing yourself is loving yourself and loving others. That's true because you show up in a whole different mindset, a whole different way to give a fullness. When I fill myself up on God's love, I show up in a capacity where I can love others and not expect anything in return. Mm -hmm. It's also honoring God. When you will do the work to heal the soul he's given you to care for, our soul is given to us. We are a spirit, but we have a soul. Our soul has been given to us. And what we do with it is up to us. I believe that's what we have to steward. 
we're going to have to answer for what did we do to our soul? Are we going to let it heal? Or are we going to let it fester? What are we going to do? And did we do the best we knew how? Like there's the parable of the talents of the five, the 10 and the one and all of that, which I've never applied that to this picture before. So maybe this is the Lord elaborating on that. I'll just throw that out. There's a possibility because God's awesome. And then also to bring in something with that same parable for you who might be listening and you find yourself as the one with the one and you're so afraid of God that you have buried everything under the ground and run away. And you're afraid of condemnation. Run to God. I was that person. I was afraid of God. I buried everything. I read that scripture and I condemned myself so badly that there was no hope. But God loves us. God loves you and he will pursue you. He will love that wound out of you. He will help you dig that up because there's a difference between hiding something because you're rebellious against God and you don't give a crap. I don't care what you want of I'm terrified, I'm wounded, I'm hurt, and I don't have a clue. God knows the difference. Mm. If you have kids, you know the difference between when your kid is stomping their foot and being rebellious, or they're freaking out having an issue. You can see the difference and you treat them differently. God sees your wounded soul. You hand it to him and he will do amazing things. If there's one thing I've discovered about God is that he receives all of my tough questions, my heartache, my embarrassment, my shame. He's not shocked. He doesn't reject me. He doesn't turn me away. He just receives it, restores me. It's the most beautiful love story I've ever experienced in my life. What is some scripture that you hang on to? A couple. One is we love because he loved us first. And the other one that comes to my mind is the one that I'm finding is really <laughs> the, probably most important to bring up today. It says in, I believe, John, that those who come to the Father, he will in no wise cast out. Those who come to Jesus, he will in no wise cast out. I'm not quoting it perfectly. And this is so important to me because the wound that happened to me at church as a child was the inversion of that trauma, of that scripture, turning it around as a lie that I believed that God himself, I came to God and he cast me out. And that was a lie the enemy trapped in my soul for a long time and God turned it around. And there's a song out there that every time we get to this one part of that song, I weep. It says, all the souls who would come to the father are restored. Mm -hmm. You come, he will receive you. You come to Jesus, he will receive you. And if anyone tells you he won't, they're lying. You go to Jesus, Jesus will receive you. You bring it to him. You say, help, you say, help. And the two of you take it from there. I had a friend, it's been years ago now, who told me that, uh, I had invited her to church. She says, no, I don't go to church. And I said, why don't you go to church? And she said, well, because I had gotten pregnant and the church told me that I couldn't come anymore. And I said, well, please know that was man. That was not God. That was man setting up their rules and uh, about how you can come to the Lord. But everyone, I don't care who you are, can approach the father Amen. because church hurt is real. Yes. Church hurt is very real. It's such a scandalous thing that God would trust man with who he is. 
mm-hmm. to relay that, convey that, model that. But I think ultimately when we stand before him, we aren't going to be able to say, well, Danielle said so-and-so or my dad said that or the neighbor down the street, you know, they did this. And I feel like the Lord would probably look at us and say, but did you ask me, sweetheart? Did you come to me to find out what I say about that? Because I think one of the challenges, one of the breakthroughs that I've had in life is that when I take a lie or at least something I believe, I wouldn't say it's a lie at the time. It's something I believe. And then I hold it up to what scripture has to say about it. And I ask God, what do you, this is what I'm thinking. This is what I'm feeling, but what do you say about it? And so to me, that's taking captive, you know, our thoughts and things to Christ and then letting him have his input in it. And that's shed a lot of light in some areas that I had assumptions that needed to be dismantled for my health. Yeah. I like how you use that word scandalous Yeah, because as the Lord was teaching me about grace, which took some time to do because grace was a religious word. that was five letters long that people like to make acronyms of, <laughs> and I could rattle off the things that went with it, but what grace really was, I didn't really have a handle on it. And at one point in my journey, there was this minister that came to the church I was at at the time. And he had been a minister who was very harsh and legalistic. And that's how he was raised in it. He got a revelation of grace. So he taught from the one side to the other. It was beautiful how he unpacked it. Mm. And he said in the Bible, when it talks about grace, it uses that word scandalous, scandalon. The grace of God is scandalous. It's why there's people out there talking about hyper grace and, you know, how grace is not that people always have to qualify it. Well, let God be God and just preach grace and love. Preach what he said and let God be God. He can handle it. I love this one portion from this uh, program called The Chosen. Oh, yeah. That Jesus was talking when he was first getting uh, Peter and James and John to follow him. He talked about, I'm going to teach you how to to catch men. You catch just as many and whatever kind, just all different kinds. You just catch all different kinds and I'll sort them out at the end. I loved that because people fret over, is the person pregnant? They shouldn't be coming to church. Is the person divorced? They shouldn't be coming to church. And they're trying to sort out the fish before they catch them. Just Catch the fish and let God sort it out. Amen, sister. Amen. (laughs) Oh, such a good conversation. Uh, We're getting to the end. What was one of the toughest questions that you had the courage to ask God? Because I think that's another thing when it comes to approaching God and trying to be, you know, not challenge the God of the Holy Bible, but yet he wants that intimate personal relationship. What did you have the courage to ask him? I've asked him a lot of things. I've I have learned he can, I can bring it all, the good, the bad, the ugly. I have yelled and screamed at him. I've tried to prove he didn't exist. I mean, I have been, I have been evil and wicked in all kinds of different ways, but he knew I was a writhing wounded soul. But the one that came to me when you asked me that was when one of my mentors, who was a business mentor, but also dealing with trauma, She suggested asking God, where was he during a particular trauma? 
not where was he as in he wasn't there because we have all asked that where were you guys been there done that um not that (laughs) but actually like where were you and i did that i didn't expect an answer right away i don't generally get answers right away when i do they freak me out (laughs) but he answered me i asked him about the trauma that happened to me at church when I was around 10 years old. My granddaughter just turned 10 yesterday. I'm thinking about her going through this. She had gone through that. Oh my goodness. Where was he when that took place? Cause I was left sitting on the front row of the church on display, rejected from the church. No parents, no nothing. Just sitting there all by myself, a little kid on the front row. And it's like, well, you know, where were you at that time? He'd already taken me through the healing of it. I'd already be completely healed of it, which was a very long process because I knew I knew different stages of it along the way. It's like I disassociated from that in stages and he healed it in stages. I didn't know it was in the inversion of a lie until like the end. And then he showed me how it had affected everything in my life. I went through life with the expectation of rejection from everyone because of that. So I became a self-fulfilling prophecy a lot of times because that expectation was there due to the wound in the soul. Right. So I asked him, you know, where he was then hoping I'd get an answer, but you know, not like, not basing my faith on getting one. I don't want to say that. I, I had like a hopeful expectation, but it's not like I'm stop following you if you don't answer me right. kind of thing. Yeah. So there was this one Sunday and we were coming home from church. My husband was driving and all of a sudden I had a vision. I don't know I ever had one before then or since then like that. I had an actual vision where I was there on the front row again and my husband's driving and he could see something was happening. So that was very validating to me because I'm like, that really happened. <laughs> and uh, when I got home, I ran upstairs to sit and get my um, notebook and write out as much as I could to remember. Because when spiritual things like that happen, unless you grab a hold of them, a lot of times they'll dissipate True. like yeah. smoke. Yeah, they will. And I wanted to remember this. I wanted to remember what he said, but he showed me where he was. He showed me he was sitting on the chair behind me. He was sitting on the edge of the chair. Jesus was sitting on the edge of the chair behind me with his hands on my shoulders, speaking to me, telling me what you're believing is a lie. I will find you. I will use this. Those are three main things I remember. There was more than that that was going on at that time. And In one podcast interview I had somewhat recently, I was realizing that what he was doing there wasn't just being there. And I had someone say, well, why didn't he make you feel that? And I'm like, no. But what came to me in this other interview, which I think is so beautiful, is what he was doing is he was calling things that be not as though they are, like it says in the scriptures. That's what faith is. He was speaking faith over me. Because I was in a church where they had voted out the Holy Spirit. They had ejected a pastor who was trying to bring the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was only allowed as, you know, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Other than that, he wasn't allowed in there. And so the Lord had showed me for years before that, that he had been 
disallowed in that place, just like Jesus, when he went to Nazareth, he could do no mighty works because of their unbelief. He was hindered because of the spiritual aspect, atmosphere of that place, but it didn't stop him from being there. And it didn't stop him from calling life into my life and pursuing me and apprehending me and bringing me back to himself to champion that message that he never leaves us. You can come to the father and he will restore you. And you are loved all the time, anytime, anywhere for no matter what unconditional love. I believe the gospel is God loves you. What do you think about that? I'm real adamant about that as it's come more and more because I call myself that lady on the internet who loves you. And like, how can you love me? You don't know me. Well, people can hate you and they don't know you. I can love you and I don't know you, but I know what it's like to learn to be loved. And I know that love is our greatest need. And I love you because you deserve to be loved. And people preach the gospel with qualifiers. Mm. It's always a qualifier. And I went through my life for so long waiting for the other shoe to drop. God loves you when. God loves you if. God loves you until. And all these qualifiers. And I know there's a whole issue of sin, but it's original sin too, because Jesus took care of everything. So that could take me off on a whole different tangent of how he took care of that. I believe it's all about the relationship. For God so loved the world, he came and he sent his son. He took care of. There's a song I just listened to the other day. It says, when justice was moved out of the way, mercy came running. And God loves you. And God loves me and he loves us and he wants that relationship. And it's up to us. Do we want that? Yeah. It's like when you meet someone, you don't instantaneously become best friends with them. A relationship takes time to develop and to build. You treat each other certain ways. And it's the same way, only different because he's God. Jesus is a person, God, who is fully man also. But we're made in the image and likeness of God. So many things in our life we can use as examples. It's not exact, but we can use it as examples. I believe that God loves us and, you know, he wants that relationship. Do we want it? And then we start that and we let him take care of it. I got born again and dropped on my head, so to speak, in the church. But God knew that I wanted that. So he pursued me and, and found me and helped me through all of my limping and all of my troubles and all of the things that I did wrong. And I mean, it's a pretty messy path. <laughs> I'd tell the Lord, your grace and your love is extravagant, but your patience is unmeasurable. Oh, yes. Because he's been so incredibly patient with me through all of my ups and downs, back and forth. The doors to God is always open. You know, mm -hmm. Jesus Christ, always open. And we're free to go in and out of that door. He doesn't trap us one way or the other. The beauty of being on his side of the door and wrapped in who he is and in the beauty of his presence, there's just no rival or no equal to that, in my opinion. Yeah, that's why the Bible, I believe, says taste and see. Mm -hmm. Another translation says see for yourself. Yeah. It's like trying to explain to a young woman who's never had kids, what it's like to be a mom. You can't okay. explain that. Yeah. You, can, you can try, but you won't know until you become one. Same with a grandmother. I'm True. a grandmother. 
Yeah. People say all these things about it. You know, it's true, but you don't know until you experience it. It's the same thing. Until you experience the love of God, people can explain it all day long and Uh it will pale compared to reality. Amen to that. Danielle, before we part, what is something that you hope the listener takes away today? One thing that sticks out to them today. Something I want to bring up. I was watching a video before we started gentleman was talking about how people will continue to be poor, especially Christians, unless what he was talking about. He was talking about people's mindset about money and how their relationship with money. And he was just really addressing it. And all I kept thinking about is people's relationship with their pain. (laughs) And how your podcast is finding God in your pain. And I know people who have pain and they blame God and they yell at God and they won't find God in their pain unless they look for him. Just like people won't develop a relationship with money that's useful unless they change their mindset, how they're looking at it. People won't find God unless they want to look for him. Do you want to dare to believe that he's really there? Do you want to lower your fist and say, okay, are you there? Do you care? Is this lady, she, she got a clue or is she like a nutcase? That's what I, I encourage people, dare, dare to believe. That's one of my resources, dare to believe that you are a once in all history event. Dare to believe that you are magnificent. Dare to believe that you are amazing. Dare to believe that God loves you. And I love the word dare Because when you tell people you need to this and you need to that, they're like, hey, they put up their hand and their response is digging their heels and do the opposite. But when a kid goes, I dare you and I double dog dare you and all that stuff, I dare you. My hope is that it perks you up to go, huh, maybe. And if I can cause you to maybe consider that God loves you when you have constantly been thinking he doesn't or he loves everyone else but you, if I can get you from, I don't believe to maybe then my breath is worth it. I love that. Thank you, Danielle. I could go on and on. This is a very rich conversation for me. Thank you so much for your time. I just deeply appreciate it and, (laughs) and cannot wait to release this, um, release this audio. Let my listeners be set free from pain and anguish and trauma and suffering because God has made it possible for us to walk in freedom. Amen. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free, but it's not automatic. We have to be a willing participant. That's one of the speeches I delivered somewhat recently about that. And I just, just the illustration that I was able to use was so helpful, but it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. He wants us free. The devil wants us bound. We get to decide which one we want. I do love the fact that when dark, heavy pain, grief, trauma comes upon us. God is there. Christ is there piercing the lies of the enemy in the midst of that darkness. Just like you asked him, where were you, God? I had a moment like that where I asked him, where were you, God? And he gave me a vision of exactly where he was. And he was there, not because he approved of how people were handling their gift of choice, but because he said nothing nothing will separate me from you. 
I will never forsake you. I will never leave you. And you will not endure this alone. I will be there with you. And I'm going to guide you on, on the way out of this trauma. And I'm going to bring healing. And I'm going to take you through this valley. And I'm going to show you the way. I've already been there. I've already been there. Already conquered that. Already did that. Follow me. I know the way to the green pastures again. Amen. Thank you, friend. I appreciate you. Have oh, an amazing you. day. Have an amazing day. Thank you for your time and for sharing this experience with my guest. I hope you have found encouragement for today and a deeper revelation of God's heart in the midst of pain and suffering. We'd love to have you as a subscriber to Finding God in Our Pain so that you can be connected with all my guests as they share their personal experiences and professional knowledge about pain and suffering. And because this podcast is a division of the website, A Life of Thrive, for more information and the various ways you can connect with us, please visit the website, alifeofthrive.com. I look forward to sharing more transparent stories from the hearts of women who intimately know what it means to have their world flipped upside down, their authentic struggle to make sense of it, and what recovery and healing looks like. Till then, sweet woman, remember you are not alone and that God speaks the most beautiful things in the dark.